We all have dreams. Some people seem to live theirs while others seem to struggle. This is, however, merely a perception. What if you could get the answers you needed to execute on your dreams? Welcome to the Platinum Mask Podcast, a show designed to ask various young professionals just how they deal with their specific ups and downs. How does one young upstart navigate competing with name brand companies? Where do we get the best tools? How do we grow from our stress and anxiety? Most importantly, how do we properly utilize our cash flow? The Platinum Mask Podcast with your host, Grayson Mask. We wanted answers, so we're going out to get them and sharing them with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello to everyone listening to The Platinum Mask. I am Grayson Mask. I have with me Robbie Prater and Amy Wheeler. And these two are the creators of Unusual Retail. And this is a business that is primarily mainly into vintage reselling, which is really a topic that I wanted to discuss. You know, saw them on a couple of featured blog and local podcasts in the area. And honestly, I've had kind of conversations before into fashion and kind of merchandising, but never really kind of knew the differences on running a business in kind of the vintage side and doing reselling versus, you know, maybe other kind of different fashion lines. So I wanted to thank you guys again for, you know, coming on the podcast and explaining, you know, not just how you got involved with unusual retail, but, you know, how the business has been doing, uh, you know, kind of the differences and kind of the effects of COVID as well. Cool. Well, yeah, this is going to be a blast, man. We're really excited to be here and thank you for having us. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the way it started is... We'll go back to the 90s. You know, uh, when I was in high school, we used to go thrifting after school. And I think that's kind of like what a lot of people, how a lot of people really get started in just thrifting in general. And back then, bell bottoms were huge and they were actually big money. If you could find, you know, a good pair of Levi's bell bottoms, uh, even back then, they were going for $50, $75. So I kind of got a little taste of, you know, vintage reselling back then and I kind of kept it going to the early 2000s but I got more focused in my career and uh, kind of fell by the wayside until 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah I was gonna ask is that uh, is the background similar for you Amy on your end or because I, I think I read something about uh, have you worked with like big box retailers on like merchandising? Yeah, so um, I actually had not done anything with vintage or reselling or anything like that. Uh, my background, I went to UNT for merchandising. And once I graduated, I worked in the e-commerce sector for assistant buying and merchandising for big box retailers. Um, so this was new for me. It's a little different than regular merchandising, but... I've learned a lot along the way and it's been a lot of fun getting into it. So probably like it's almost been a year that I've been partnered with him on this project and we've kind of meshed together and are using both of our experience and different sides of retail to make this work. And partnered in more ways than one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask like, so with your guys' business, I know you guys do vintages and kind of a wide variety of uh, decades. And I was kind of wondering on, you know, is there a decade specifically in clothing that you guys share an interest with or that you think is 
you know, that you really enjoy just for kind of like the clothing? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think for both of us, the 1960s, uh, it, it holds a lot of fascination just because the 60s were so turbulent. If you look at the beginning of the 1960s in all aspects, in all aspects of it, um, the clothing was very different at the beginning of the decade, the same way uh, music was at the beginning of the decade. So if you look at, you know, the early 60s and then compared to the late 60s, it's so different. But at the same time, uh, it has, I don't know, there was so much cool in the 60s, you know, uh, even in the beginning, like, you know, we talked like Mad Men era type clothing. Like, I love those skinny ties and just kind of the refinement, the early fashion that kind of came out like the U.S. is really or America was really just starting to kind of establish itself as far as its fashion identity um musically a little differently but at the same time you know it it just the music and the fashion kind of i guess transitioned along during the decade with all the stuff that happened you know like with the assassinations that happened early decade like america kind of lost its innocence and then there was just this rebellion later in the decade yeah it's like the, when you start from the Mad Men type era where everybody's trying to dress to impress and go to work and wear certain looks and everything and then like a bunch of stuff happens, you know, economically, um, just in the country in general and it brings out this rebellious teen and everything to where like the clothes start really shifting to like really being super modern or just like everybody kind of had their own little thing that they were doing, uh, whether it was like a space mod look or hippie kind of look or the like, you know, bad boy teenager. And then you had like the white collar folk, like really dressing sharply at work. And like, it was just a kind of cool, interesting time to have all that going on. And like, has the sixties, um, I guess made much of a comeback with like any clothing pieces. Cause sometimes like I watch TV and I see kind of like, man, there's definitely a nostalgic, uh, you know, obsession, like on the eighties, uh, when I kind of watch shows and kind of movies yeah. and they do a lot of highlights. I was kind of wondering, like, uh, is there any like clothing items I would recognize like, um, that makes a comeback from the sixties, like currently? Oh, yeah. Like right now, all the little psychedelic patterns and stuff are really Mm -hmm. heavy and trending right now. Um, Merry Mushroom. Merry Mushroom sets like home decor, vintage home decor and things like that. But it's more trending right now because um, Y2K fashion is really, really popular right now, like early 2000s. And like if you look back to what we were all wearing in the 2000s, everybody was wearing like those psychedelic prints and the big like earrings and with the cool little designs and flower power and everything so like it's kind of like this mix of like that 60s look and like that hippie kind of psychedelia mixed with like a more modern take on it with the y2k fashion so yeah Mm -hmm. it's really popular (laughs) and a lot of that had to do with the rave scene the whole club scene back in the late 90s and early 2000s it was heavily influenced by just the hippie era like it was this weird fusion of like futuristic psychedelica, you know? Um, so there were definitely some trends that have come back and then went away and then they've come back again at this point. Mm-hmm. And like with uh, kind of the effect of uh, those eras, when you kind of, uh, when you guys both mentioned kind of the rippling effect of sixties onto 
kind of now with the early 2000s. Is there any like eras or any like clothing designs that you're surprised like still hasn't made any type of comeback like to the 2000s or like something that you really want to come back that hasn't yet? Actually, we were talking about this the other day. There, so do you remember the whole like emo scene movement of the mid two thousands? Like, we're we're kind of like waiting for that because it's about to hit twenty years, you know, yeah. and we're kind of waiting to see what happens with it. You know, certain bands like My Chemical Romance and AFI, uh, their T shirts have started to rise up as far as um, value and prices go, but. The thing is, right now, a lot of people are wearing very baggy, oversized shirts. And a lot of the t-shirts in the mid-2000s were not cut like that. They were very... That's when the Slim Fit t-shirt made a big comeback, you know? Yeah. So I'm I'm waiting to see if that whole look comes back or if there's a pushback against it. Because right now, oversized shirts with skinny jeans is kind of like a look. Yeah, or even like the mom jeans from the 90s and stuff are like a huge thing right now. Like everybody's really walking like the chunky shoes and the mom jeans and everything. So I think it's kind of like shifting that direction. But I will say like a trend that I hope does not come back is like the Von Dutch and oh, like yes. the Ed Hardy. <laughs> I'm like, please keep it, keep it there. <laughs> you don't want to rock an affliction shirt? No, I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I like the, yeah, I'm like I'm kind of imagining the the transition when you kind of brought up the uh, really with the scene. I, I'm thinking like it kind of transitioned to kind of like the whole e boy e girl thing, um, you know, throughout social media. I was kind of like maybe that was like the most that's getting there, but yeah, I can imagine maybe like some type of comeback to that. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, the music. I think music was such an impact. It had such an influence in the mid two thousands that um, it's going to be hard to avoid it. Yeah. So it's just going to be a matter of how it adapts to new trends because these trends always come back. I mean, yeah. it, it's going to happen in some way or another. It just depends on, I guess, how much. And yeah. Well, I mean, when you speak about the music too, it's like everybody and their mother is going on tour and that we loved in the 2000s and late 90s, like the Spice Girls, like Backstreet Boys, like everybody I feel like is trying to like make that little push and that come back into the scene. It's kind of like that nostalgia of like just wanting to relive your childhood again. <laughs> <laughs> And like, I guess outside of the kind of the rippling effect of other decades, is there, I guess, some type of unique image of like this current decade that you think like, oh, okay, maybe in the future, like looking back, this is what people are going to be thinking about, like the clothing designs of 2020. Uh, is there anything like that unique that kind of pops out? Oh, like. I don't know. It's because we're kind of in a weird like stage right now where like, okay, so fashion really relies heavily on like the status of the economy and things that are going on between like elections and things like that. And so like right now we're kind of reliving through like a really fast paced push from like the 60s, 70s, 80s, like, and you know, rise of the middle class, like a really, really fast pace of just a lightning bolt of like everything is just going so quickly. Um, which is partly in favor of like fast fashion companies, you know, trying to like pump out a bunch of trends and then change it to a next thing. Um, so like 
I don't know that there's necessarily anything right now that is really any different than something we've already like trended on in the past. Um, I feel like everybody's just kind of doing their own little spin with it right now. I also feel like um, fashion has reached, I think it's reached a point now where kind of like music doesn't necessarily have the influence that it used to. And I think people have so many more options now um, to kind of create their own style that I don't really think that we're, I, I, I think just music and fashion and television, just the way we are um, taking in a lot of stuff now to kind of create our own little subculture. I don't really think that it's going to, there's going to be a, like a massive trend. I think what we're going to see is more, of a push towards like microcultures and stuff like that, as far as fashion mm -hmm. goes, like uh, if that makes sense, like I just mm -hmm. I don't know if we're gonna see like a massive like trend that trend like goes across the globe or even the U.S. anymore. I really think that there's going to be a lot more just piecing stuff together to kind of create your own look mm -hmm. uh, in the future. Yeah, I will say like something I feel like is really it like inching on like that we can kind of see when we go out and like kind of spectate what people are like the trendsetters they're trying to wear is like that whole like space mod look is like like a space girl or whatever you know that's like kind of wants to look a little alienish with like the metallics and the chunky boots and everything and like mm -hmm. just like those kind of mini dresses and stuff I would say like that is really trying like a lot of the early trendsetters and things like that are really trying to push that um, like in a subculture way, I guess, kind of like more in a music scene way. Yeah. And I feel like we've mostly seen that at concerts and stuff. Yeah. We did see that one trend with the camera though. Yeah. Uh, who was that? Uh, a bunch of celebrities. So weird thing. So this will kind of show you like how the value of things change so fast. So there are these like old cameras that there's really not a lot of them around that work and everything. And they were already a camera that you could buy for like 700, a thousand. They were more than that. More they were like a thousand or two. A thousand, yeah. a thousand or two thousand. And uh, Kendall Jenner and us, another rapper and somebody else took pictures of them wearing them around their neck as an accessory. And then everybody who follows those people of like all different backgrounds were now on like on the hunt to find these cameras. There's only a small amount of people that have these cameras in the United States and like the market was there, but it wasn't a huge thing that was there. And now those cameras are worth like $7,000 because people want them so mad just because the celebrity wore it as an accessory. And like, so then people know like, oh, now the demand is high, the uh, amount of them is low. So like supply, demand, economics, it goes up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you guys kind of both touch up on the idea, these, the, the creature of, the, the creation of like smaller subgroups and kind of these kind of micro groups instead of uh, a, a large change amongst everyone as like a, a vintage brand are, are you more optimistic or pessimistic on that like would you prefer you know with one large kind of like cultural change or do you like the idea that there's all these little tiny little subsets that will be formed and would like cater it to everyone individually yeah dude that's a great that's an awesome question uh that's that's deep um i don't as far as a preference goes, um, 
I, we could go into this like a lot of different ways, but I really think for us personally, it doesn't really matter because I don't think vintage would have come around the way it is right now had there not been these like micro cultures, you know, um, I guess this is me taking anthropology in college, you know, kind of just coming out about the interests in different cultures and stuff like that. And vintage reselling is very much like a, it, it is its own little culture. And I, like I said, I don't think it would have come about unless these little micro cultures didn't exist, you know? But it's also hard because something we noticed a lot of now that we're kind of like getting more, you know, like broadened into it and people are liking, you know, the stuff that we buy and sell. Um, it's hard because when there's a trend like that, that everybody picks up on and wants to wear, we have billionaire companies who have pro push out all of these items for $5 for the shirt or $5 for the pants, but it's a reproduction that's cheap made for you to wear at one time and donate it to the thrift store or whatever after. And so like, while we think in our business model, wow, this is trending and everything, it actually helps the value of our clothes go up. So like things that they're buying at the store for five, 10 bucks, um, the value of it in our marketplace has then doubled or whatever because that's what's trending, that's what's popular, that's what people want, and they want the. Some people might want the real thing, but now we're competing with large corporations who are selling it at, you know, not even a fraction of the dollar that we have it listed for. Um, so it's really trying to find the niche of somebody who wants the real deal rather than just buying something online for five dollars or whatever yeah, and something else that happens with that is it um your market saturation happens really quickly too because a lot of these companies are able to just pump something out really quickly great example grateful dead shirts um that was something a couple of years ago those shirts are going for five hundred a thousand dollars if they were you know uh certain uh like psychedelic, psychedelic tie-dye print or something and what happened was not only did the resellers start like digging those up and selling them, it drove the prices down, but also you, you had companies like liquid blue who made a lot of those shirts originally started reprinting them. Uh, other companies jumped in. So market saturation happened like really quickly with it and it drove the prices down really fast. And the funny thing is, is there, this is something we also talk about is we try not to be a niche within a niche. Uh, selling vintage clothes is already kind of a niche market. You know, and we know people that just sell certain things like they will just sell T-shirts or they will just sell uh, like kind of grandma clothes from the 70s and stuff. And that's cool and all. But we try and we always say we'd like to have something for everybody. And so we're not like niching within a niche, you know. Yeah. It's because like once you have that, like a store like that where you're only selling one decade or you're only selling uh one style or whatever like you only have one of each item if you think about it at the end of the day and so when someone walks into your store they have to like that one item and also fit into that one item <laughs> and so you're even like grasping for a customer even harder than you would if you just provided a lot more options yeah a lot of a lot of uh resellers they're either afraid of the t-shirts or they're afraid of the fashion um, and I think luckily for us, we've always just 
really been into fashion and just clothing in general. So I feel like the two of us together were able to just kind of cover all the bases and stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I just, it's one of those things that we don't understand why people actually like kind of just narrow themselves down because we don't, it, it just, I don't know. It's just weird to us. <laughs> when you guys uh, kind of brought up the idea of um, your business competing with uh, large kind of big box retailers that are kind of mass manufacturing, I, I remember kind of having a conversation kind of on the food industry and people and restaurants for the podcast where I kind of brought up the idea that uh, they're kind of showing evidence that people are spending less and less percentage of their income towards actual going out to eat or just food in general. And, you know, the idea was kind of like, you know, will people have to spend more money for kind of this industry to thrive or, you know, is it kind of just on your business to adapt in that situation? I was kind of wondering on, you know, on your guys' side, do you think people are becoming more, um, uh, you know, they're willing to spend more money when it comes to like the quality of clothing or are they possibly, is it adverse? Are they going the opposite direction? Um, I, that's really hard to say because the nature of this business in itself is um, all the resources are very finite. So it's mm-hmm. kind of, yeah, it, it's kind of hard to say in, in that way that, people are resistant to certain prices. Um, I guess one thing that we can say about it is that if something is over a certain price, it's way harder to sell. Uh, there have been some things that I've had that are worth hundreds that have taken years to sell. And if we ever have an opportunity to do a trade, to trade out of it, um, a really good example recently, we had a shirt that was worth like $350. And I knew that I was gonna sit on it for years. And luckily, this one guy that we know fell in love with the shirt and he wanted to do a trade. So we ended up getting about um, nine or ten shirts, I think like eight or nine shirts total. And a couple of them worth about 100. Some were worth around like 50 or 60 and some were worth around 20 or 30. And we got an equal value out of it, but we're easily going to be able to sell those other shirts much more fast or much more quickly um, because of the price point. So. You know, I think to, to the general customer that we do have, because we do so many events, like people know about vintage clothing, but it isn't necessarily like a passion or um, something that they live every day. So um, with a lot of those people, we do notice that having a lot of product around 20 to 30 bucks, uh, it's a lot easier to sell. Yeah. And I will say too, like something that we really try to do to combat the competitive market as you were saying with having you know big box retailers mass producing product and stuff is that we really rely heavily on educating the consumers and just anybody like average joe on the street about how awful it actually is to be consuming fast fashion brands and stuff and what the benefit of consuming secondhand fashion is um you know like part of marketing i practices is to plant seeds of doubt in people's minds and then like come with the solution and so like something that we really try to do is just let people know you know these items are very cheap for you to buy because somebody's not getting paid a livable wage to sell Mm -hmm. you that item (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like there's um 
advantages, you know, people are getting taken advantage of, the clothes are getting produced at large amounts that the average consumer in the United States can, we cannot physically consume the, all the product that's being made. The thrift stores, the donation stores, they are getting so much product donation that they can't even do anything with it. And so they're actually bundling it up, sending it overseas to lower income countries. Like third world countries. Yeah, yeah. third world, world countries. And then it's then polluting their environment because they don't even have the money to buy these clothes that are then being sent over to them or have enough people to even consume the amount of clothes that we are as U.S. citizens are consuming uh, in a year. And so, like, that's something that we really try to educate our following or just anybody that we talk with about because, you know, when you do buy secondhand fashion, you know, these are pieces of clothing. Like, the dress I'm wearing right now is from the 80s, you know, so it has, you know, lasted 40 years and it is in immaculate condition and it's not going to, you know decrease in value for one and it's also not going to like fall apart after two washes either because it's lasted 40 years and i'm sitting here wait wearing it so uh, like there's a lot that goes into trying to get creative and handling those battles with dealing with mass-produced you know competitors and things like that when you uh, kind of brought up the idea of being able to voice kind of those concerns and be able to talk to people on, uh, you know, the dangers of mass manufacturing or these kind of big box retailers, uh, what was kind of the effect of, you know, with COVID, with the decline of, I guess, pop-ups and be able to go to events, uh, you know, how hard, uh, how hard was that transition for your guys' business? It was really hard, actually. Um, you know, I had started to really, I'd finally gotten traction with a lot of these events and got my foot in the door with some of the more popular ones in DFW. And I, I, yeah, it was, it was hard. Uh, It really um, set us back a a lot. And I will say online sales did pick up for a few months. I mean, there was a few months there where I was just, I, I was shipping out five, six, seven items a day. Uh, there was that much sales going on, but I was getting worried about being able to source product too, because I would say half of the thrift stores were just closed for a couple of months. Uh, one of my favorites, it was closed for about two months before they reopened. And uh, everybody started hosting garage sales. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there, there was that. I will say after everything kind of normalized again, um, Garage sales were crazy. Uh, I mean, I was going to so many. I, I, I was waking up at you know seven in the morning just to make sure I was ready and out there by eight. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely had to dip into savings because uh, I just wasn't making any money, and um, you know, I'd already been laid off, so there were no jobs at that time. So, you know, it it is what it is. But it, yeah, it definitely um, was a real kick in the pants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know with, um, yeah, I wanted to ask, like, when you guys uh, kind of talked about with garage sales, what what is the, uh, I guess, the normal distribution for your business, um, you know, when you're trying to find vintage cloth items? Is it like estate sales? Is it garage sales? Is it kind of thrift shopping? What's the uh, kind of primary target? It's all of it. It's all of it, man. You got to you gotta go where it's at. So, um, 
we always tell people it's not a matter of just like one place uh, to get this stuff. It's a matter of time. So we usually put in at least 30 hours a week um, going to garage sales, thrift stores, estate sales. Um, we even are lucky enough to have kind of a network of people that provide product to us as well. Um, a couple of our friends that we know, uh, we stopped by their house yesterday and picked up some great stuff, uh, which their house is amazing. <laughs> it was one of the coolest houses we've ever been into. Uh, just they, they're constantly redoing their whole house and it's almost like a, combination museum and store at the same time but uh, we were just like we were amazed on just like how clean and organized it was too i mean it, their place was just immaculate um it was pretty cool <laughs> i remember like isn't you guys uh neighbor like a historian or something yeah oh yeah He's- um, he lives next door to us. So we live in Munger Historic District. So all the homes over here are built in like 1905 and stuff. But he's like the coolest dude ever. He's a self-proclaimed historian and everything. And he's been around the block a few times. I mean, in his house, he has the invitation that he received to go to the Kennedy ball but he was assassinated hours before so he never obviously the ball did not happen or anything like he's got in the backyard one of the gondola things for yeah the-, the sky gondola that used to be at the uh, texas state fair one of the old ones yeah the ones that are like notorious because people like died from them like you know <laughs> them falling on people and stuff uh but he's got one in his backyard yeah, so he's a pretty cool dude. Like, yeah. and he loves to tell, you know, all the stories about the what he's got. And I mean, he's just got so many. I'm sure we can name off some more. But just yeah. to give you a good idea <laughs> of what kind of stuff he has, I mean, he's pretty cool. With this uh, network that you guys have with people finding clothes, because I know you guys uh, kind of originally mentioned earlier in the podcast on uh, on doing like different types of trades. I was kind of wondering on like how regular that is and is there any trades that stick out to you guys like on either you had an amazing deal or it was just like a very bad trade at the time? Um, I usually try and stay away from them. I don't, most resellers, they don't like doing trades. Uh, in fact, a lot of them just really don't like to do it. Um, it always seems like somebody's getting, offended during it you the know short end of the stick. Um, i mean there are like big conventions and stuff where like yeah. resellers will get together and that's like a strictly like you trade with each other type thing um but i would say that's more heavily known and like people who do like streetwear um like t-shirts and sneakers things like that um which yeah, that community is very much into trades and stuff like that and you know, we know those people and we do interact with them and I've done a few trades with them before, but as far as just having like a memorable trade. The last mm-hmm. one we did with Pure White Noise would yeah, probably be the best. Yeah, that one we were talking about earlier. I mean, that's the only one that we're just like, we both felt like we got a good deal because this guy wanted the shirt really bad and mm-hmm. um, I had $350 on it, but it's worth more than that. I just had a lower price because I was just like, if I don't have it, at 350, I'm never going to sell this thing. You know, if I try and ask for 500, I might have this shirt in 10 years. You know, yeah. <laughs> so. well, we both got some goodies that we got to keep for our personal collections. Like yeah. I got a badass. Uh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I got a really cool Stevie Ray Vaughan in 1989 tour shirt. 
Um, that's definitely going in my closet for keeps. Yeah, and I got a Danzig shirt from like 1993 or so, and it's a really rare like bootleg shirt that I've never seen before. I'm a huge Danzig fan, and I've yeah. just I've never seen this shirt. Um, so he had some amazing stuff, and he's just like a collector, and um, it's just one of those like perfect storm type things where it worked out. And I just don't know if we're gonna have that happen again for a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And with like uh, kind of the idea of you know, perfect uh, positions where you guys got clothing. Because I know like on uh, you guys' blog posts, I, I kind of saw something on, I think it was like an Arden's uh, estate sale. So I was oh, kind of wondering yeah. like, um, you know, what, what was kind of, uh, what's like an estate sale like in that situation? <laughs> well, oh my God. <laughs> this is an epic tale, sir. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those stories. It's... Uh, like you just kind of stumble across it and just happen to know somebody that happens to know somebody. And before you know it, you're running an estate sale type thing. Yeah. Like really how what happened was we were introduced to a gentleman who bought a house contents and all, and the woman was a hoarder. And so Mm. he, we had friends who knew that we sold vintage clothes. So we arrived to just buy vintage clothes. Um, but he had just ran an estate sale a few weeks ago for his mom. So while we were there, we were like, um, you're going to need to do a lot more than just sell a few items of clothing to us. And I mean, we left there with like five huge contractor bags full of vintage clothes, but like there was more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So like, we were like, okay, well, we're going to call our reseller friends. They'll come over, they'll buy and everything. So then that happens and the day goes by and you're just like, okay, you're going to need to do more than just this. So we had no idea how to do it. We kind of understood it. We, we go to enough estate sales and things like that. So we set and it all together. Up. I mean, we have like 35 years of retail experience. Right. So. <laughs> so we did a picker sale basically to where everybody would just come to the house and you make yourself a pile or fill up a trash bag and we just throw you a price for it all, you know, to give you a deal and you pay and you go on your merry way. And this was something that like, she was a fashion designer at uh, the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City in the late 60s, early 70s. So we actually have like all the clothes she made while she was in school. But then also she bought the coolest freaking clothes I've ever seen in my life too. So like we really got like some amazing items. We helped somebody out. Um, We had, you know, we helped a lot of our reseller friends out. Um, And there were people who went to the sale, I mean, every single day and filled up their truck with stuff. And there was still by the end of the four days. We didn't even sell everything in the house. No, maybe like 40 or 50% of everything in the house we sold. There was still that much left. Um, but yeah, people were talking about that sale for months afterwards. They were like, oh my God, you were the ones that ran that estate sale. And we were just like, yeah, uh, I, I, I still feel dirty for running that estate sale. So, uh, yeah, we just have, we had to do a lot of digging to find out about her too, because um you know, the family wasn't there and they didn't really want to talk about it too much. And, um, this gentleman that we were running the estate sale for, he like was a distant cousin uh, of, of this lady. And he had met her a few times at like weddings and reunions and stuff like that. But nobody really knew a lot about her. So we kind of had to do a lot of digging and 
I mean, it took like a few days for us to finally just like kind of uncover like a little bit more about her life and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think once we did, we were able to confirm it. And yeah, it just like everything clicked, and it was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Like, yeah. no one why she had so much clothes. Yeah, like how good mm-hmm. the clothes were made. I mean, these clothes, like I still wear a lot of them because I'm just mm-hmm. like. They're just they're so awesome. unique, yeah. And they're one of a kind pieces from the sixties and seventies, like and they'll just blow your mind. <laughs> yeah. And you could tell she was you could tell she was proud of what she did, and that's the reason why she kept all of it, because you know, like that's something she made. And you know, it's just a shame that uh it was possibly just gonna get thrown away because nobody really understood that it had value. There's value to do something like that to a community of people that one love fashion and two like love vintage clothing and uh, mm-hmm. the stuff that she made was just so unique, so cool, so bold and daring. I mean, it just, yeah. Something too, that we learned that was interesting while we were doing this sale is that all of, so she obviously liked to sew and make clothes and everything. So she had so much fabric. And so all of this fabric that she had was old from, you know, 60s, 70s and everything. And I mean, they are prints that you wouldn't even dream that anybody could get at Joann's or wherever, you know, like this is awesome stuff. And so we had people coming there that are slow fashion brands and things like that, that are make small batch lines of clothes. And they're mm-hmm. buying the fabric to sell in store and everything because there's a copyright uh, like once the, the date has expired after such and such years, you can actually produce clothing, you know, whether it was like at a designer copyrighted mm-hmm. or whatever. So, and make money off of it. So we attracted a lot of people that were just there to buy fabric that are now going to, we're probably going to see sometime yeah. soon. I hope I see it because these fabrics are awesome. So mm-hmm. that's something cool that we learned. So, it was just really fun. Like we learned a lot of things that along the way and it was just awesome. And with you guys kind of interactions with some of these slow designers, I wanted to ask on like the, I know uh, kind of when there was less events going on that you guys do this uh, where, where someone can like get a private consultation or uh, privately visit to try on clothes i was kind of wondering like um you know how how is that different from if they were to just like show up at the store or just kind of check out the clothes um i guess um i guess the big difference is that they would get to come into our home and see some of the more private collection stuff that they wouldn't get at some of these events because we do have so many clothes that we don't bring all of them i Normally, to mm-hmm. even at a bigger event, we only bring maybe sixty percent of what we have, um, just because one we usually take two vehicles to these events and fill it with clothes and all of our racks and you know our tent and everything like that. So I think with that you get the full experience. I mean, you're going to get everything that we have, and on, on top of that, like uh, you can play with our cats and uh, <laughs> we're going to provide drinks and uh, other things. You know, I think that's probably, uh, you know, playing with cats is a nice perk. I, I also, you know, probably a personal opinion would say that like our home's like a time machine. We have the coolest furniture and decor and everything because we source everything from estate sales, garage sales and stuff. So like, Everything's from like the 1950s, 60s, 70s in our house. 
the like just the tour in general would be worth it <laughs> on like the furniture when you guys kind of talked about like the the love of like 1960s clothing is, is it similar for like interior design oh yeah absolutely yeah, yeah the <laughs> the living room especially gets a lot of love and attention um uh, we've got record console from the 1950s uh, couch from the 60s yeah we really really love mid-century modern which is the reason why we like really favor the 1960s so like also like our furniture that we have in our bedroom um but we have like the original receipt like paper receipt that that came with the furniture and like the book and everything from it that like was kept in the furniture by someone for all these years and it has the date stamp on it and everything and i think like the date on it's like 1972 or something like that yeah so and it's super mid-century modern really cool um but yeah i mean definitely <laughs> it definitely favors the 1960s yeah and the cool thing is i mean we're always out of state sales garage sales thrift stores i mean it's so easy to come across this stuff and piece together something that's very um, classy and cool at the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, to kind of, uh, wrap the episode, I wanted to ask on the idea of, uh, if there's any like future projects or anything with the business that you guys are looking forward to, I know, uh, I remember seeing something about like a highly unusual collection that's like <laughs> coming soon. If you guys wanted, if you're able to bring up anything on that, or if you're guys trying to keep it a secret right now. So it's, taking some time mm -hmm. essentially we also came across a bunch of fabrics and stuff from the 60s and 70s and so we are going to launch a collection soon probably if we can get you know find the time to sew everything and do it all but um we're gonna be launching like a soft homes line like napkins uh placemats maybe some uh, cool little like wrap tops um, I'm trying to make it size inclusive because there's not a lot of fabric so I'm, if I'm making any clothing item it's going to be like a one size fits all type thing um, mm -hmm. so that's why I'm kind of more focusing on home decor and like soft line type stuff because everybody can enjoy that <laughs> and other than that um, we have been saving up um, to do a big event next month. Um, we haven't been approved for it yet, but uh, if we do, there's going to be a huge release of clothing. I mean, we have bins full of some of our best stuff right now that nobody has seen. Um, there's even a chance that next year we will do a really big vintage Adidas release. Um, I love Adidas stuff. Um, there's pictures of me being four years old wearing these short little red Adidas shorts, you know? And a Michael Jackson beat it top. Yeah, Michael Jackson beat it shirt. Um, so we've been collecting Adidas stuff for a while, and it's getting to the point where we have enough that we could probably release like 30 or more items that are just uh, really cool, rare, hard-to-find pieces. And there's a good chance that by next year we'll have at least 50 or more, and that'll probably be a big thing. Um, something else we have coming up that um, actually like we're just about to start advertising for this. Um, so on October 8th, that's a Friday, we are actually hosting a neighborhood market at our house. 
Uh, so everybody, can, like the public, can come to our house and shop us and other vintage resellers and other small businesses and everything. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Like we're really, really excited about it because I mean, it's going to be a party slash market, really. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, a good opportunity for all the neighbors and just anybody in DFW to come and just uh, see what some of these events are about and uh, enjoy it in a really, you know, intimate kind of way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, definitely. That's uh, definitely sounds like a really cool event, especially to, you know, bring up other vintage lines, uh, kind of some of the products you guys have, but no, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, some of these pop-ups you guys have and, you know, definitely going to make sure some links are on the episode and I definitely encourage everyone to check out some of these events, you know, check out some of the vintage clothes if, you know, you're into vintage. And yeah, I wanted to thank you again, guys, Robbie and Amy for, you know, help me out uh, kind of with this episode, you know, not just explaining your business, but uh, really explaining, you know, a lot behind kind of the vintage scene and, you know, what it takes to kind of thrive in, you know, that type of business. Yes. Well, thanks for having us, and we really hope to see you at one of these events one yeah, day, sir. Come <laughs> over, come over. <laughs> I gotta, yeah, I gotta get the house tour. That sounds cool. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. Thank you so much. We had a lot of fun today. Definitely. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Platinum Mask Podcast. Stay connected with us directly through theplatinummask.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at graymask12. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through maskgrayson at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, raise a glass to success, no matter how you define it.